0: Also told them this parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And we've established this as our goal that we are called to be fully trained disciples, that Jesus has no less goal for us. His vision for us is to be fully trained disciples. Not to be substandard or good enough, but we are constantly and continually growing into the likeness of Jesus to do as he did, to be like he was. But knowing the goal and knowing where we're going isn't enough to take us where we need to be. And that's why as we talk about the process of discipleship, I want to highlight some of the things that, that we need in our life in order to become these disciples. In order to get where we're going, we need to know what that looks like in this process because it's not something that happens overnight. It's not, you don't wake up in the morning as a Christian and you're automatically a disciple or you just do one devotional and, oh, that makes me a disciple. There are elements that need to be in our life. There are ingredients, and those ingredients, when they come together, they shape us into this person that we talked about last week, that ultimate goal of where we're going and what we want to be. Being a fully devoted disciple of Jesus is, is obviously what we're after, but we need to know what that looks like. We need to know, you know, I think there needs to be somewhat of a metric. I mean, how is it uh, that we know we're on the right track and we're doing the right things? And I think it's actually something that the Scriptures teach us very clearly. And since Jesus doesn't physically walk with us, we're obviously not his direct disciples. So when we read about the disciples in the Bible, you know, they had Jesus right there. We don't have him physically And so the word tells us what those things are. And we see, obviously, after the direct disciples of Jesus, some of the things that they did. So I'm going to use some of the words of Jesus tonight as I talk about this. But I'm also going to use the words of the Apostle Paul, who we see was a disciple who made disciples after Jesus was physically on the earth. So here's the three things that I want to talk to you about as the process of discipleship. I want to talk to you about the word of God. I want to talk to you about the spirit of God. And I want to talk to you about the people of God. I want to talk to you about the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. The first is the Word of God. Our knowledge of the Word of God builds a foundation by which our discipleship is framed, and our life becomes useful in every way for God's purposes. I want to read to you 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to his son in the faith. He says, Do your best. To present to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You'll see that part underlined in your notes. Who correctly handles the word of truth. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And can you imagine what that might mean in our day and in our age? Those who indulge themselves in godless chatter They become more ungodly. Wow, that seems like a word for today. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, he names two people who have wandered away from the truth. And they say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. That was a heresy in their day that they dealt with. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Wow, that's powerful. We should stop right there. And uh, this is a word from our sponsor. In a large house, listen to this. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy, that means set apart, useful to the master ...and prepared to do any good work, which I would say is exactly what we're all seeking to be. We are seeking to be useful to the Master, equipped and prepared for every good work. That makes us useful. Paul calls Timothy to rightly handle the Word of God. That's what he says, correctly handle the Word of God. And I don't need to tell you that that's something that has always been a problem since his day, since the times of Jesus, the times of Paul... All the way up until our day, it has been something that we, the church needs to hear, that we need to be a people that are concerned, that care about rightly handling the word of truth. It's it's one of those arguments that we hear is, is that, well, everybody has an interpretation and there's so many denominations and people believe different things, and how do you know that you're right? Usually when people talk like that, I'm not suggesting in any way that there isn't some truth to that kind of a statement, but usually when people talk to me like that, they're saying it from a perspective that they're not willing to dig to find the actual truth. I don't find a lot of hungry people that are digging into the Word of God and digging into history to understand where the Bible comes from, what the Bible is, and what the Bible means. I don't find a lot of people that are actually doing the digging that talk like that. I don't. I don't find that to be um, the case. But Paul actually mentions that those who who don't, those who don't teach sound doctrine, those who don't rightly handle the word of truth, he goes into saying they wander into other teachings and they have become ineffective as a result of it. Isn't that amazing? He says those that indulge in godless chatter, those that get involved in in other kinds of teachings or other kinds of thought that everybody seems to be like pushed into, everybody seems to be talking about. People that do that and they're not fixed and focused on the word of God. They end up becoming ineffective in not only in their teaching but also in their life because he says they become more ungodly. And isn't that what's true? I I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, consistency is one of the major keys in having a successful Christian life. It's not sexy. It's not attractive. It's not some conference that you're going to see like, consistency 2017. Nobody's going to probably come to that conference, but I can guarantee you it's a quality that we want in our life. We want to be people that are consistent, especially as it, as it pertains to the Word of God. And then he says, those that who rightly divide the word are like articles of gold and silver. Think about that. People that rightly divide the word of God, people that are hungry, people that are digging, people that want to know what God is saying. They want to know what God has said. Those people, well, they're like articles of silver and gold. They're prepared for every good work. They're useful to the master. They're not just opinionated. They're not just saying what they want to say and get something off their chest. You know, sometimes that um, people reference speaking the truth as I'm getting this off my chest. You can get something off your chest, and it doesn't mean you've spoken the truth. Speaking the truth means you're speaking the word of God. It doesn't mean that you're just, I'm just being truthful with you. I'm just getting this off my chest. That just means that you're trying to say whatever you're saying. It doesn't mean you're saying what he's saying. And so there's a difference between speaking the truth and saying something that you finally have gotten the guts to say that might not be true. Paul goes on to say this to Timothy about the word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16, a very popular scripture. He says, All scripture, all Old Testament, is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The Bible is uniquely able, as God's Word, to shape and train us to be adequate and equipped disciples that do what God's called us to do. I mean, when we talk about the process of discipleship, here's what we're saying. We're saying that without the Word central to our discipleship we're not a disciple we're, we're, we're going to be a disciple of our own mind of the God that we make up in our head we need we need the Bible to teach us about who God is we need the Bible to teach us about what God says about us we need the Bible to teach us about what life is about we need it to remind us and correct us and train us and instruct us so that we can actually be adequate And he's not talking about whether or not you did your devotions this morning. He's not talking about whether you read Jesus Calling. No offense. But he's he's talking about digging into the Word, knowing what you believe. When I teach the How to Study the Bible class, I make an appeal to Christians. If this book is something you stake your life on, then show it. If you're going to stake your life on this thing, dig into it. Know what you believe. Know where this book comes from. Christian people, I love I am one. I understand, there was a point in my development, there was a point in my Christianity where it was unacceptable for me, in my mind and in my heart, my disposition towards God. It was unacceptable for me to say, I'm a Christian and I believe in the book and stake my life on the book and not seek to understand where it came from not seek to understand like when they formed it and put, put it together in what they call the canon of Scripture. I needed to know that. I, I want, I'm staking my life on this. I'm teaching my children this book and saying to them, this is God's holy word. And I didn't just want to do that as kind of a religious tradition. I wanted to do that because I had actually taken some time and turned some Netflix off, you understand, and read some books, for heaven's sake, and dug into some history. I think it's worth our time. Not as a guilt thing, like, you better do that, but you want to do this, amen? This is something you and I want to do. And so Paul is saying that, you know, we need to not only have the Bible as a resource, but we need to have the Bible as our source. There's a massive difference. In today's world, we've, we have a lot of important issues at hand, and yet um, even among those, you know, the, the world uh, doctrines or ideologies, they're changing. They're changing rapidly. Not, not uh, They're not changing like... Um, uh, at a slow pace anymore, things are speeding up, and, and we're not going to agree um, on everything together as people, but we need to know as Christians that the solution of all the problems in the world, I, I believe we can find that in Scripture, we, we really can, it doesn't mean that we're going to live it out, that, that's going to be another part, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but we need to know what our foundation is, we need to know what our framework is, our, our frame of mind, and it comes from the Word. Where you get your info is the same place that you get your marching orders. In other words, what you believe, right, is eventually what you walk out and what you live. That's why we have to always go back to our source, which is the Word. The Scriptures renew and change our minds. The Scriptures uniquely have the power, because they're God's Word, to change the way that we think. And we need to change the way that we think. We need to be renewed to God's Word. As time goes on, true discipleship and making disciples is impossible without the word of God in our lives. Let that convict you. If it needs to convict you, let it convict you in the right way. I don't want to guilt anybody into reading the Bible. It doesn't work. But when we're convinced, it's not just a love letter from God, like God just wanted to write that he loved you. There's some stuff in there that doesn't seem too lovely. You understand? That doesn't really work when you really read it. But it's more than a love letter from God. It's historical. It's contextual. It's spiritual. Jesus said this. He said, um, the flesh profits nothing, but the spirit gives life. And he said, my words are spirit, and they are life. Jesus wasn't just a man. He was God-man. God came in human flesh. We call that the incarnation. And when Jesus spoke, he was speaking. He was God speaking. I mean, I'm fascinated with those that got to physically walk with him. I think that's amazing. Can you imagine walking with I mean, to them, they struggled with his deity. We struggle with his humanity because we think of him as, as who he is on this side. But, you know, they, they ate dinner with Jesus. So they walked through that. They struggled through that. But, man, it's amazing. Look at what John chapter 8, verse 31 said. I thought this was interesting. Jesus says, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Oh, man. You know, that word continue, it's like the word abide or remain. Not just if you start out, not just if you believe it kind of, but if you continue in my word. John 15, 7 goes right along these same lines where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. He's the vine and we're the branches. He says this in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Sometimes people reference this passage of scripture and they're just saying, like, we just need to abide uh, in a prayer life with God and just really walk with him closely and be in our prayer closet. And that's true. But this is what he says. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you continue in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why would that be the case? Why would God answer our prayers when we're a people that walk in his word? Because his word is shaping the way that we think, and it's shaping the way that we pray. When God's word is shaping the way that we think and shaping the way that we pray, you better believe he's going to answer prayers. He's answering according to his own will. And then he says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Now listen, if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love. We, we call a lot of this stuff legalism, but this is what Jesus said. If you keep my commandments, we're talking about the commandments of love. We're not just talking about the Ten Commandments because he said they, those were all summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. He, in fact, said that the law hangs on those two very things. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine, he says. Additionally, to remain in him and and having prayers be answered and our lives being fruitful. It's all connected to the word. You see how he's saying that. If you abide in me, my words will abide in you. And then he goes on to say, and you'll be fruitful. And when you're fruitful, you bring my Father glory. It's all connected. I would say to you like this, that if we're not a people of the word, if we're scarcely a people of the word, at some point it's going to be impossible to be the kind of disciple that we long to be, that we want to be, that we're called to be. You know, I mean, this is just the reality of it. So it's clear that we need to learn, love, and live out the Word of God. You say, well, how would I do that? I'm glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. I think first we start with reading the Bible. Get a consistency of reading the Bible in your life before anything else. Before you feel convicted of doing some study on Melchizedek, or some kind of Hebrew study, you know, uh, before you learn Hebrew language or Aramaic or what Jesus said on the cross in Aramaic that most of us, when, when we preach, we horribly pronounce anyways. You know, isn't it really funny to watch the preacher try to pronounce the telestai, tel- what it, it, Every time they do it, he or she make, makes a huge mess out of it. Or whatever. Before you learn all that, before you try to get into the Greek and the Hebrew, why don't you just, we need, just need to get a consistency of reading the Bible in our life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we want to go deep. But I think deep might just be consistent, like I've already said. I think that if we could do that, then our hunger and our appetite for the Word of God will increase to go deeper. This is what I would encourage you to do. If you don't have that, say, Lord, help me do that. The second element, the second ingredient in the process of discipleship is the Spirit of God. We know the Scriptures alone, they're just not enough. Because on one hand, we know that the Word of God, was God breathed. That means the Holy Spirit breathed through men who wrote the scriptures. It wasn't just their writing, but there was more to it. God inspired through them as they wrote. And so we, as the scriptures, were breathed upon by God's spirit, so we need God's spirit to breathe upon us as we read his words. And so we need the Holy Spirit to make the word of of God alive to us and the word of God alive in us. It's essential for our, our discipleship. The Holy Spirit has several roles and responsibilities. When you look throughout Scripture, when you just read verses about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that, or it references Him in these ways. He teaches, He guides, He convicts, He prays, He reveals Jesus. He causes us to be born again. He empowers us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He makes us holy. He anoints us for ministry. He brings freedom, gives joy, produces godly fruit in our life. I've taught many times before in this class that it is the fruit of, of the Spirit. It's not our fruit of godly character. It's actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing is we're learning to yield our life to the Holy Spirit. And as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we produce that kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think that's it. But anyways, those come through us. I talked about it last week. If you Study out John chapter fifteen, and it talks about that, uh, and other passages where it talks about the vine and the branches. Or a good tree bears good fruit. We're just branches. We bear fruit. We don't produce fruit. We bear fruit. So if we're connected to the tree, the life sap, the life flow of the tree causes us to have fruit hanging on our branch. We don't produce it. We just bear that fruit by staying connected to the Word, and the life of the Spirit flows and causes that fruit. To manifest. So we need the Holy Spirit in our discipleship. He actually does disciple us in many ways. John 14, 16, here's what Jesus says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. That word truth is an interesting word. We we think of truth in one way or another, but that word there you could also translate it reality. There's not another word when we translate. The word like to reality, the spirit of reality, there wasn't another word to translate it. So the spirit of truth, he brings us into reality as God sees it, not just as we see it. It says, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, but he will be in you. The spirit will live in us and he is the spirit of truth and we need the truth. As Jesus says, the truth will make us free. John 14, 25, stay with me here. It says this, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking, while I was abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And listen, he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He will teach you all things, and he will bring, he will bring to mind the things that I taught you. And I always joke, like, hey, Peter was really excited because he didn't take notes. And he was like, oh, that's amazing, because I don't have to remember everything, because I've already forgotten it. Jesus, and we have grace, not only for Peter, but we don't remember things either. Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be their teacher. And the Bible says it multiple times. That's, in fact, what he is. He's our teacher. Additionally, he's going to remind us, as we follow him, as they followed the leading of the Spirit after Jesus had ascended to the Father, The Holy Spirit does the same exact things in our life today. He reminds us. He disciples us. He teaches us. We need to follow his leadership. And the final verse I'll use is John 16, 12. Jesus continues to say, I have many more things to say to you. Now listen to this, but you cannot bear them now. Here's Jesus saying this to the disciples. I've got a lot more things I want to tell you, but you can't contain it. You can't bear it. In other words, you can't bear up under. You can't support what I'm trying to say. You won't be able to contain it. You won't be able to carry it out. And then he goes on to say this, but when, the, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose or reveal to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and he will disclose it To you, Think about that. Jesus said, I want to talk to you about more things. I want to teach you more things, but I can't. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. The things that I wanted to say to you, he's going to reveal to you. He's going to help you understand. And this truth is true for us as well. The Holy Spirit helps us. He guides us into all truth. As we have the word, he also continues to reveal the will of God and the ways of God to his people collectively in community. The Holy Spirit guides us, guides disciples into the truth, not just to know it, but to live it. Isn't that amazing? He's not guiding us to know it all. He's guiding us to live in the truth of God's word. It's powerful. So he plays a vital role in our discipleship, is what I'm saying, an element that cannot be forgotten, something we need to understand. And you say, well, Ben, how do I I receive discipleship of and through the Holy Spirit? And the way that that we would do that is we're people that would simply wake up in the morning and we would communicate with God saying, lead me today. This is something that we often need to invite the Holy Spirit to do. Lead me, guide me. This is a prayer that you can pray before you go into a meeting, before you walk into work, before you go and sit down with somebody that you need to talk to, before you're even saying, speaking to your kids Guide me into all truth, what I need to say, what I need to to do in making disciples. If we're not spirit-led people, then we're not going to help others become spirit-led. That's the whole concept here, is that we understand the process of discipleship and the ingredients that go into being a disciple so that we can make disciples of other people. We know what it's like because we're living it out ourselves. So being led of the Spirit has a lot to do with our prayer life, in my opinion. Being connected to the Lord through the Holy Spirit is often and consistently having that time in prayer, not just once a day, but several times a day. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth who said, I seldom pray longer than 30 minutes, but I never go 30 minutes without having prayed. And that's the kind of people that we need to become. I'm all for having like an hour of intercession. I'm all for that. If you have the time for that and God calls you today, He calls all of us to pray every day, we need to be in the secret place. I believe that. I. I advocate that, I preach that, but at the same time, I don't think we, we want to just call that like that's the hallmark of our prayer life, that's what it means to get our reservoir filled up and then we just go out from the day, uh, into the day and we don't talk to the Lord anymore. No, I think our vital connection to the Holy Spirit is to learn how to pray without ceasing, which means you're offering three-second prayers all the time. It means that you're often inviting the Holy Spirit to lead you because you need it. I need it. Learning how to be led of the Spirit isn't always mystical, and I think that's the, um, to me, that's the downside of sometimes the Pentecostal church, which, of course, you know, I've told you whether you are or are not a Pentecostal or charismatic, you know you're listening to one, but I would tell you right alongside that that I have problems when I feel like people make the Holy Spirit so mystical that you almost feel like you have to be in a sci-fi movie to have any kind of real experience with the Holy Spirit, and that's just not true. It's just not true at all. Yes, the Holy Spirit will encounter you in ways that don't make sense at times. Yes, you can have um, tremendous encounters with God. But, but surely it's, it's also abiding in a daily relationship where you just invite him to speak to you and lead you and guide you and believe and trust that he will. And you didn't have to have him knock you down and drag you through something or do anything to you or give you the Holy Spirit goosebumps to make sure that you know that he's going to lead you. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that if you lack wisdom, right, ask of God, and he gives liberally or, or generously, he gives wisdom generously to those who, who, who ask. And so what does that mean? If you ask God for wisdom, and then all of a sudden you have a thought, this is how I teach hearing the voice of God, well, it just may be that that thought is the very answer to what you just asked. And we often make it some kind of massive deal where we, like prophetic words and Hearing God has to become something that is only for special people, and and the Holy Spirit, you know, anoints the, the selected few, the anointed chosen few, and that's really it, and that is absolutely a lie. God has made himself accessible to every person that chooses to follow him, and any lie that would suggest different is just a lie, and so whether or not you feel goosebumps or whether or not you have consistent or continual visions or you have all kinds of dreams or, or you feel the Holy Spirit or whatever it is, He will lead you because He lives in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And the more you invite Him to lead you, the more He will lead you. And He doesn't always knock on the door and say, by the way, I'm leading you right now. It just doesn't, that's just not necessarily the way it works. I would love for all of that to be the case. I would love to give you formula, A, B, C, D, one two three four. I just It's just not that way. Relationship is not that way. Being led of the Spirit, being discipled of the Holy Spirit is not, is not that way. I would tell you the Word of God gives us a framework, and the Spirit of God breathes on that, that Word. He breathes on our life as we follow Him, as we learn to follow Him. And don't think that for a second, like right now, I know when I start talking about things, people all of a sudden start going, well I'm not really good at that. Good at that. You're right. You're not really good at that. We're learning to do that. Can, can you accept that in your in your heart? It, 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 so often we hear somebody talk about something and we admit failure. Oh, well I'm just not I've never been good at that. Instead, what we need to do is embrace a theology that calls us to grow. That's what we're talking about in discipleship. That you take a step and every step is a step. You take a step. Instead of, um, instead of wallow in guilt, instead of stay in the seat, stand up and just take a step right where you are. That's all you need to do. And I really think that that's a word for many of us in here or those that might be watching. Just take a step. God is constantly prodding us. And, and moving us towards taking one more step. But we always want to be at the end of the road. We always want to have it all figured out. We always want to be uh, all the way on the other side where the grass is greener. And then we take a step and we realize it's actually about every day taking another step. That's what this is all about. And the people that stop are the people that stay stagnant. The people that sit down when they need to be just taking one more step are the people that start asking those kind of questions. Well, I don't know how this works, and I really don't understand what he's talking about. Well, the question is, do you want to understand? I'm not not asking if you are an expert, I'm asking if if you're a willing disciple A disciple is again, we've defined as a learner of the ways and word of Jesus Christ That's what we are, I've embraced that I have a license to grow, baby, come on now I'm not saying you have a license to sin If you you think you have that, you might want to burn that card You You might want to take it back or give it back to the devil, all right, but that's not what we're talking. We're talking about having a license to grow in Jesus' name. That's what a disciple was. You look at the disciples, and and they walked physically with Jesus for three years, and I love it when people talk about this. They go, well, they, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was with them, man. I mean, yeah, they weren't filled with the Spirit, but like Jesus was right there telling them what to do and what not to do, and they were saying crazy stuff. Should we call fire down from heaven? And Peter is overconfident, like, oh, I will never deny you. And then it's like, I don't understand the whole like rooster crow thing, but like a rooster crow three times and bam, he denies Jesus three times. Right. So you just have this interesting stuff that happens in the life of the disciples. And, and I think you can find yourself in that. I think you can. I, I don't know why I want to park here, but I just do as, as a pastor. And I meet with people. I meet with some of you guys. And we know this is true, but, but we, we love it when somebody preaches to us about the glorious victories in Christ, which they're, they're available to us, but we don't always talk about the glorious journey in Christ, because that doesn't sell a lot of books. But the victories, man, right? We want to talk more about that. And, and, and when I was, uh, this is a really, maybe, I shouldn't share kind of illustration, but I'm going to share it because I have the microphone. So there it is, but. I was a real estate agent for like 12 years or so, and and when a real estate agent goes to sell your house, you say, Ben, I want you to be my real estate agent. I say, Okay, you're gonna pay me a lot of money. That's what's gonna happen. And so so you hire me, and then I come on like listing day and I get a nice camera or I hire a photographer, and we take all the nice pictures of your house, all the beautiful pictures of your house, right? But how many of you know every house isn't all beautiful? I mean, there's some stuff that everybody moves into a house and they go, I wish this and I wish that or whatever. But we take the nice pictures of your house and then we put those on the internet because we're trying to get people to come to buy your house. We don't take pictures of the jackknife driveway and the room that didn't get painted and the carpet that clearly needs to be replaced. And Half the time we don't say that to you fine folks, but you know, it's really true. And we don't take pictures of all the stuff that, that, that wouldn't bring somebody. You don't put all those pictures up online. Why? Because people aren't going to come to the house. That's not what sells the house. I think sometimes preaching is like that. It's where we give you the best pictures. We give you the pictures and people are like, yes, that's what I want. You know, I want the victories, man. I want all that, but we don't you don't realize that you gotta walk through the journey. You want to walk with Jesus to see those things happen? you got to walk through some valleys. you got to walk over some mountains. It might be cold. It might be hot. I don't really know, but I'm going to promise it to you. And I don't know if everybody, every preacher talks about this stuff, but I started getting a little exasperated when I hear preachers only talk about the testimonies. Well, what about the hundred times you prayed for somebody with nothing happening to get to that point? You understand, those are the pictures that don't sell the house, but they're definitely true. It's because we're learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. Accept that. Embrace that truth. It is powerful. It will change your life. It will take you from an I can't, and this isn't for me attitude, to an I can. All i got to do is step out and try. I mean, what happened to us? It, it, we've changed. We've become all of a sudden people that don't try anything anymore. We fail before we start because we're unwilling to try. And I, I want God to restore that kind of an attitude back to his people. Like, I, I can and I'll try and I might fail. I mean, we need, to, we need to plant churches in all kinds of areas and we need to do all kinds of great exploits for the Lord. But it's going to be because people are willing to try. And we really just call that faith. We're believing God and we're not knowing what's going to happen there might not be a whole lot of guarantees on the box. But we're just willing to step out there and go for it. That's what I'm calling people towards. Step out and go for it. And the Holy Spirit is leading us not just to the destination but through the journey, you understand. And so you and I need to learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and we do that by getting up in the morning and asking him to lead us. We do that by walking into our work. If you feel discouraged and you walk into your work and you just don't like your job, that's a great opportunity. You just got to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, to open your heart and to open your eyes, to show you why you're there and what you can do in your workplace. You're not there to just be miserable. You understand what I'm saying? We're not in this life to be miserable people that everybody can tell that we're just miserable. I just don't want to be here and I don't like you. And by the way, I'm a Christian. I mean, that is not helpful You understand what I'm saying? The world doesn't need more offended Christians, more miserable Christians. The the world needs more spirit-empowered, spirit-led, word-filled Christians. And we can be those people. Don't think for a second you can't be. You can be those kind of folks. You and I can be those kind of people. Why? Because the word says so. Not because I say so or I wrote a book about it, but because the Bible says so. And when we get ourselves around the Holy Spirit more and more, I mean, he, His presence is with us. But as we become aware of that, it's a game changer. Now, The third ingredient that I'll talk to you about is the people of God. We talked about the Word of God. We talked about the Spirit of God. And another crucial ingredient for us as this discipleship process is laid out to us is the people of God. The church carries the responsibility to disciple people, you and I, which we're going to continue the next two weeks on as disciple makers, not simply just disciples. But we have a responsibility to make disciples. The Bible's extremely clear about that. But the reason that I talked to you about the Word of God and the Spirit of God first is because this task isn't just up to us. It's not just up to our programs or our gifts, talents, skills, abilities. Clearly, we have the Word that's leading us, that's that's our foundation, our framework, and we have the Spirit who's breathing life on what it is that we're putting our hand to. But we also are partnering with God in the discipleship of many people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, which we're going to spend two weeks on. I'll just briefly mention It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all people. And then he describes what that means, what it means to make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe, and another translation says, teach them to obey all that I commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now listen, Jesus gave authority to his disciples to make disciples. That's a big deal. He's the author, and when the author gives authority... You can do what the author says you can do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving you authority to do this thing that I'm telling you to do, which is make disciples. It's incredible. You'll notice that Jesus tells them how to do that. He talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, teach them. Baptize them. Teach them. Not just good principles, not just morality. Teach them to obey what I told you. He also says, teach them to obey all that I told you. Sometimes I think that's our problem is that we teach people some but not all. And we need the whole thing that Jesus said. You see the the word, teach them what I taught, and you see the spirit. He said, and I'll be with you. There it is. Teach them what I commanded you. There's the word. And I'll be with you. There's the spirit. You see that? Now, I, I say this to you because I see it in there. I had a revelation of this one day. You know, um, again, being a Pentecostal, a charismatic, we're really good at like having worship services, and and wanting to feel the presence of the Lord. And I'm all for that. I, I mean, I don't always feel anything. I don't always get goosebumps or what what glory bumps, whatever we call them. Okay, I don't always feel a lot. But I don't think that that's because God doesn't like me. Okay, or I'm not charismatic enough. I just don't. People are like, did you feel that? I go, no, I, I didn't. I didn't really feel that. I'm glad you did. That's that's awesome. Great, I mean, uh, but I think sometimes, as as if you're if you're in that stream or if you have that thinking, we can have this um, idea that the presence of God is like in a worship service, and that's that's where the presence of God is. It's like, oh, did you feel the presence of God tonight? It's like, I hope I feel the presence of God all the time. I mean, I, I hope you know that's like. That's kind of what I'm after. You know, I'm after the presence of God all the time. I'm not really just like after having a hot worship service. Last time I checked, worship was about God, and it wasn't about how I felt. But, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing that out there for you to meditate on. I mean, how was the worship tonight? The worship was amazing tonight. I don't know. We should probably ask the Lord. It wasn't really for me, so I'm not really certain as to how he felt about that. You ever thought about that? It's just kind of sort of a thought there, but. But anyways, I think this is what he says, though. Listen, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And then he says this, and I'm with you until the end of the age. Do you know that Jesus wasn't trying to give them a comforting word about the Holy Spirit being with them? Here's what he was saying. I'm going to give you an impossible task. I mean, there, there are chapters before this where he's telling, telling his disciples, people are going to hate you. People are going to kill you, and they're going to think that they're serving God by doing it. He said, I'm giving you an impossible task, and I'm with you. He is with us in making disciples. People, if you want to feel the presence of God, I'm telling you, if you make disciples, if you take what God gives you, and you give that to other people, you will feel the presence of God like you have never felt the presence of God, because it's in that where you start to experience some of the suffering, some of the frustration, some of the difficulty that Jesus Christ walked through. The presence of God, I believe, is found in the making of disciples. We're we're often after the presence of God in a worship service, where we can come and feel a little glory and we can walk out. I'm telling you, if you have people living in your home or you're meeting with people on a week-in, week-out basis or you're opening the Bible and you're looking at somebody's confused and frustrated look when they look at you and they're like, what about Joshua and the Canaanite conquest? And you're like, well, about that. When you have to work through that and you finally got to pray through that stuff and you got to dig deeper than you've ever dug before, that's where you find the presence of God. God. He's in the task. He's in the assignment. He's anointed us to make disciples. He said, I am with you. I am with you in disciple making. And so we're after this little feeling sometimes. We're after this little glory bump. I'm telling you, there's more for us than that. It's like parenting. It's frustrating at times. Amen? Parents... That's what disciple making is like. I'm not trying to reduce people down to like little kids, but I'm saying that's what it's like. When you take up that responsibility, you can know that God is with you. And I'm going to become responsible for the spiritual well-being of other people. I'm not just going to be a selfish person. I'm not going to do it just for a paycheck because that's what ministry is. It's lifestyle. All of this is lifestyle. Everything about it that we do must become lifestyle. Worship is lifestyle, evangelism is lifestyle, discipleship is lifestyle. Making disciples has got to become our lifestyle. And I don't care if you're called to be a preacher, a pastor, a worship leader, all of us are called to make disciples. Every one of us, we are called to somehow play a part in the making of disciples. It is the commission of Jesus Christ. And it it drives me crazy because sometimes, like, I just don't think I fit in the church. Or I think there are a lot of us that don't think we always fit in the church. People come to me, Pastor Ben, you know, I don't know if I fit here. And I'm like, welcome to the club, man. I think a lot of us feel that way. Okay, we're a bunch of misfits that God puts together and kind of laughs from heaven. You know, (laughs) I figured that out. Unity. Okay, in diversity not conformity, but unity in diversity. This is what he's after. It's beautiful when people of different uh, nations, people of different languages come together, and somehow we're trying to figure that out, right? We need to be about that, but I just think that we've got to be careful that we're not trying to do programs and we're not trying to just be churchy. We're about discipleship. We're about making disciples. We're about the next generation coming up and carrying the baton. They got the flame of God in their hearts, you know, and we're not standing on the sidelines saying these young people, you know, they're entitled and these. Uh, These millennials, you know, they're full of themselves. No, I mean, speak over the generation, prophesy over them. You know, give them something. If there's a problem, let's bring solution to it. I I believe the word carries solution instead of our criticisms. We need to be people that believe Jesus is in disciple making and stop criticizing everything bad that's happening and become part of the solution according to the word of God, knowing that the Spirit of God is with us. We're the people of God. I'm not just an average Joe anymore, according to Scripture. And we see this clearly also in the Apostle Paul's words. He further talks about it and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He gave some to be these different ones for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith, which has not happened. And the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God is after fullness in his people, and he's using his people to bring us to fullness. Isn't that amazing? He wants fullness in us, and he uses us to bring us all to fullness. It's incredible. He gave some, as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip one another for the works of service. That we would know what it means to be more and more like Jesus from one another. That means we have to be humble. That means we've got to learn from one another. That we're not trying to be right because we're concerned about what is right more than being right. And we've got to yield ourselves to the different giftedness, the different understandings. We've got to be good learners. That's what it is to be a disciple, isn't it? A learner of the word and way of Jesus. You know, I think in our times, we're too concerned about getting to the end of the destination. Like I told you, we want to be right. We want to have a calculated answer for everything. We've got to have more questions than we do comments. And this is how we learn. We become people that aren't, like, um, confused, but we don't have to be know-it-alls. We have to be good at learning and I believe God will use us more as we become humble. And that's really my, it's what I want. I wouldn't suggest that I am that. I want to be more of that, humble. Paul gives a picture of the church that equips one another for ministry and maturity. And in a sense, we all do this together. I believe the Bible actually paints a picture that we need one another. It's called interdependence, not codependence, but interdependence. And he made it that way. The Bible, when it talks about we've been restored to relationship with God as our Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, in the, same, in the same sense, we've been restored to relationship with one another as brothers and sisters, and that crosses nationalities. I mean, I believe, if I, if I had the time, I would lay this out in terms of racism and, and the issue of racism, I would lay this out for you, but I actually believe that, we, that the answer is in the gospel. I'm not saying that the manifestation is just preach the gospel to people and get them saved and that will solve racism. I think racism is at its core spiritual. Because we have conflict with God, which means we end up having conflict with one another. When this gets right, all of a sudden it gives us a heart to want to make this right. And we want to bring down the barriers between one another. In this time, in the first century, it was Jew and Gentile. And God talked about bringing the barriers down. In our generation, it's the same thing. Bringing about justice is first about bringing forth the gospel. And secondarily, about manifesting the truth of the gospel in the life that we live to everyone around us. As God gives us opportunity for that. And so we see that we need one another. We actually do need one another. God designed us that way. And so as we would resist that, that's why unforgiveness to me is one of the biggest strongholds in the church that the enemy uses against us. Bitterness and envy and jealousy and strife and unforgiveness. When I pray over people, the the biggest issue, the biggest demonic stronghold starts with unforgiveness. If you pray for people, you know this is the case. Unforgiveness can go back 20 years and people can, we can be living out of that wound of unforgiveness in our family or unforgiveness in a marriage or a past marriage or a, a relationship with a, with a child or a father, mother, or anybody even for that matter. I've seen unforgiveness raise its ugly head in situations that don't even quite make sense. And yet we have this prevalent and what it does is it continues to build walls instead of connect us to one another because we can now forgive through Christ. Since we've been forgiven, we can forgive. Obviously, we know that message, but have we manifested that reality is what we're after, you see? So it's not just about knowing. It's about manifesting. It's about living in, and we need one another. I believe it's in that accountability where he talks about being equipped. You know, it's not just about ministry. It's about maturity, we need people in our lives to correct us, and to the degree that you put yourself in proximity to people to know you well enough to do that, in my opinion, is the same degree you will become mature. I don't think you actually need people to correct you all the time, because correction's not a big deal when somebody can just bump you and say the slightest thing. It's very simple. Correction becomes a big deal when you build walls of insulation and you don't let people in and years and years go by and then somebody has to all of a sudden abruptly tell you something and you get knocked off your rocker and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person would say that. Well, the problem is is that you haven't been open or receptive maybe for years and it took somebody a lot of guts and maybe they weren't fully right but there was some truth in there, right? And if you and I cultivate humility and relationship, I believe we become more mature. We need correction in our life. We we need one another. We need each other to have access. And I would say to you, I used to say this at times, I'll I'll say it now, it, 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 I think it fits. But, you know, I think you should invite, it, it, the, you know, the King David story where King David um, sleeps with Bathsheba and then has... Her husband killed. You guys know the story, right? If you don't know the story, you can read it at home when you go home. It's, it's a nice story that will put you to sleep, I bet. So, you know, you put it in a Christmas card and you send it. Say, Merry Christmas. Amen. Happy Valentine's Day. I mean, I wouldn't suggest that. I'm just saying I'm sure somebody would do that. But you look at that story, and then Nathan, a prophet, comes to David and confronts him. He gives him this parable. I always tell people, invite Nathans into your life before Nathans come knocking at your door. Because we all need, we all need people that can speak into our lives, but I would rather invite them than them having to knock on my door. Right? We need one another. Here's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this to his son in the faith, Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, Paul was so confident in the deposit that he had made in Timothy's life that he knew, he reminded him of this, but he knew that he could go then and give to others who were able to do the same thing that had happened with them. It says that things that I have entrusted to you, that's, that word means deposited. I, I've deposited these things in your life, and I did it not just for you to have them, but for you to make a withdrawal. I want you to withdraw those things and give them to other faithful people who will continue this reproductive process, which we call disciple-making. Discipleship is about each generation passing on everything that they have and everything that they know. And I, I would tell you this tonight, people of God, people of God, I would tell you that you have an impact somewhere with someone. Whether you found it yet or not doesn't matter. It's about finding the impact that God wants you to bring. You say, well, what do I have to bring? Whatever you know. What am I supposed to pass on to people? Whatever you know in the Lord you're called to pass on. Who am I supposed to give that to? Find them. Pray for God to highlight that. Start serving somebody instead of just trying to give them wisdom. Well, these young people don't listen to me. Go out to lunch with them. They'll probably let you buy them coffee. I don't know. Most people will let you buy them lunch, especially if they're broke. You know, that, that would be a good thing, place to start. Start serving people. You know, love people when they can't love you back. Watch how God will open up doors for you to, for you to be able to speak in and help shape the lives of other people. We're always looking to be influential first rather than servant-oriented. Where you serve, you will become influential. And I, it, can I say this? It boggles my mind why churches can never get people to work in children's ministry. It, it boggles my mind. It's almost like it's a nuisance. It's, it's, almost, like it, 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 it's almost like I'm, I'm above that. I, I take care of kids all day long. No, kids, guys, this should, like, break us right now. Kids are where it's at. Our kids. We used to send people away to all these ministry schools, these supernatural schools of ministry and all this stuff, and they would come back and they would want to be itinerant ministers. And they would think that they were better than just helping out in the children's ministry. See, the reason there's this huge vacuum is because there's not just a vacuum of young people that don't know, that that are entitled and and prideful. I think there's a vacuum of parenting. I think there's a vacuum of of deposit. I think there's a vacuum of us not giving what we have, and so here we have this entitlement, and here we have all of this stuff. We're all a part of this, though. You understand that, right? We 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 are all a part of this, and we can change this, but we've got to change our mindsets. Kids are not a nuisance. Young people are not just self-entitled millennials that need to wake up and get up and step up and no, man, we, we play a role, a fundamental role in helping people become who they're called to be. And we become who we're called to be by stepping into helping others do the very same thing. That, see, it's right there where our criticism, it shouldn't even come out of our mouth. As, as quickly as it does, we grab a hold of that and we go, I'm, 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 part of, I'm part of the problem and I'm part of the solution. We've got to identify with one another in this. See, the way in which discipleship happens in this process is that you and I need disciple makers in our life. We need people to help us become disciples. And we also need to become disciple makers. I need people to disciple me, and I need to disciple others. And it, this is that idea where I would say to you, you need a mentor or you need a, discip- a discipler in your life. Or, you do. You say, well, I haven't found any. And I would say, well, you just haven't found any yet. You say, well, I haven't, you know, sometimes with women, can I talk to you women for a second? I offend everybody anyway, so let's just go for it. I've heard from women. I just want to sympathize just for a second. I can't empathize. You understand why? So. Yeah. I can't fully understand. I just, I have a a thought for you is what I'm saying. Sometimes women will say to me, when they really get fired up in the Lord, they're like, I don't find a lot of other you know, gals that will give me, that are fired up in the Lord that will give me time. I've heard that from more, I hardly ever, I hear that from men, but not regularly. I hear it from women a lot. And I, and I tell them, I, I tell them this, you need to pray and you need to embrace the people that are in front of you, right? So what will happen is we'll end up going after the, the busiest, most spiritual person that we can see. Well, I want that person to disciple me. And they have the least amount of time and then it frustrates us, and they're like, you know, they they, they must they don't care, okay? They must not make disciples because they don't have time for me. Here's what you did, though. See, see the problem that we get into? Men and women. We choose to go after the busiest person, and then it frustrates us, and then we give up because we chose to go after the person that's probably in relationship with a lot of other people. And, and you know what? We might be missing the fact that there's three or four people in front of us that we might, deem, we might not deem as spiritual, we might not think that they're the ones for me. But I would tell you that if you, we don't learn to embrace what's in front of us, we're probably going to pursue something that's not for us. Some, you ought to write that down. That was really good. Right? So we end up frustrated, spinning our wheels in this cycle of nobody's here for me and nobody's here to disciple me. I'm not saying that you won't go through some periods where you have to pray through that and seek out and all. I, I, I've, I can say to you, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But at the same time, I am more concerned about my discipleship than allowing myself to get frustrated because one person doesn't call me back or email me back over a period of time. If you want to get discipled, I'm telling you, just get hungrier for that, and don't let somebody's lack of receptivity or lack of response determine a lack of discipleship in you. You keep going after it. You be that tenacious person, and you just say it every time. I'm sorry to bug you. Just say it, and then just go on with what you need to say, (laughs) I'm sorry to bug you, but I would really love to get together with you. you hear what I'm saying? Amen. <laughs> I'll buy the coffee. Okay. You don't drink coffee? Tea, whatever. Milk, whatever you like. It doesn't matter. Red Bull, I see you as a Red Bull person. I don't know if that's a word from the Lord, but we'll do that. We'll do that. You understand? We'll do that. I didn't know if you were a teep. Whatever. You are. It's fine. But go after people, right, and receive and humble yourself to people. Ask people what they think. I have too many people that tell me, uh, tell me what they think, and they never ask me what I think. I, I can go a whole hour with people telling me everything that they think. Blah, 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 blah. And then in my mind, here's what's going on. Can I let you in? I probably am cutting in half the amount of people that want counsel from me right now. This is totally fine. This is totally fine. But this is what goes on in my head. I'm like, what do you think about that, Ben? And So often it never happens. It never happens. I never, I don't, people don't even ask me. And that's cool, maybe I don't know it all, that's fine, but I don't know why they met with me. They met with me to tell me stuff and not to ask me anything. I think we need to have an exchange. I'm not suggesting I can't receive from you, I should and I can, but there has to be an exchange, right? And that's what we need, to to get better at learning from one another. Even when we get into those relationships, we might end up spending that time like, talking about our problems too much, receive from people, ask questions of people, become the learner and watch what happens as a result of it. And then for us that as, as we talk about being disciple makers, it's really all about investing into the lives of other people. That's what Paul says here very clearly. He says, I want you to entrust what I've given to you to faithful men who will also teach others. And discipleship is about that passing on. It's about that Elijah-Elisha relationship. It's about that Moses-Joshua relationship. It's about Jesus and the Twelve relationship. And then you see that just continue. Paul has Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, his true son, in the faith. So I would say to you, who are you discipling or who are you serving in order that God might allow you to disciple people? That's an insight. Can I park right there and just say this and, and close? If you're not discipling anybody and you don't know even how to go about that, my next question for you is who are you serving? Because in your serving, you will find influence. You will just find it. You don't even have to look for it. It just happens. When, pe- when I see people serve, selflessly serve and give themselves, give their time, give their attention to other people, that means something to me. It absolutely means something. And it's, wh- it's where a lot opens up in order for us to be able to share whatever it is that we know. Right? The old saying is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Well, how is it that we bridge that gap? We bridge that gap by serving. I would ask you, who are you serving? Who are you serving?